Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, and we're doing our coronavirus uh, investing uh, series. And we have Jeremy Raper back on. Jeremy, welcome back to the show. Hey Eric, how's it going? Hey, before we start, I have to sure. say I really enjoy your uh, I enjoy your lead-in music very much. Oh, well, thank you, thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, whoever you got to do the voiceover did a good job. I I agree, I agree. He did, <laughs> he did a fantastic job. Um, well, let's uh, let's get started with the show. So I want to talk about some merger ARB opportunities that you are seeing and just the general overview of, you know, why merger ARB could be interesting in today's environment. Sure. Or so, special situations, you know, we can. Yeah. That too. I mean, yeah, I'll put it, I'll put it in the special situations bucket, but essentially, you know, merger ARB. So for anyone who's not familiar, that's the process of buying stocks in, in companies that have announced a merger or takeover and sometimes shorting the stock of the acquiring company if it's denominated in shares. But generally, it's the process of accepting a small spread for a potential guaranteed return if the deal closes, right? So, you know, if company A is getting bought by company B and the price is $100 in cash and you think it's going to, going to close in three to four months and the stock's at 98 then you ex- you you know you're accepting a two percent return in gross terms, but if it's going to close in three four months, that's a decent annualized return, maybe a ten percent annualized return, um, to accept the risk that the deal closes, right? So this is a good barometer of kind of broad, kind of broader liquidity, right? Because when money is 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 extremely easy and free, free, um, you know these deal spreads comp- compress aggressively, right? So as recently as a month ago, deal spreads were extremely t- extremely tight for most deals because there was a huge amount of excess li- excess liquidity in the system, and then. As soon as uh, as soon as we have some kind of massive conflagration and loss of liquidity, as we've recently seen in the last you know uh, couple of weeks, these deal spreads can can blow out aggressively, almost irrespective of the underlying deal conditions. Um, the reason for that is that is because you know these are oftentimes easy sources of cash for guys who are taking losses elsewhere in their books, right? So if you run multi-strat and you know, you take massive losses on your equity book or your, you know, your energy stocks or, or you know, even government bonds have been getting hit, right? So what's a ready source of cash? A lot of these deal spreads are still relatively tight, right? So, yeah, maybe you put it on at 98 to go back to the previous example, and now it's trading at 90. So it's still a massive spread in um, uh, in terms of annualized return terms, but it's, you know, only seven or eight points down versus your energy stocks that are down 50 points or whatever, right? So it's a ready source of cash. Um, so... Look, I mean, I'm not really a merger guy, to be honest with you. So this isn't something I look at every day. But there are, on, on, you know, once every three, four years or whenever there's a complete loss of trust and liquidity in the system like this, there's a lot of babies that tend to get thrown out with the bathwater. So I think it's it's a pretty happy hunting ground. So I think we'll talk maybe about one or maybe two of them today. But particularly, there's one I really like. Sure. Um, and that, that's the Tiffany deal. So LVMH, Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy, the uh, the Paris-listed mega luxury conglomerate, agreed to buy Tiffany for $135 in cash. Um, it was a back end of last year. I think it was around November last year. Um, pre-deal stock was tra- that's Tiffany that was trading around you know 80, 85. Then then deal rumors got leaked and traded up to the you know low 100s. They went back and forth for a few weeks and they finally agreed on a 135 deal price. Now it's all cash. LVMH has already funded the debt needed to buy the company. Um, it's a consensual deal. There are no outstanding approvals to be received. 
Uh, and according to the deal timeline, it should close by middle of 2020. So interpret that as you know June, July. Um, and now, the, the key thing to look at in, in deals like this is, I guess, twofold. One, how likely is the deal to close? And that's, that's a function of regulatory approvals, financing, funding, the history of the participants, all that. Um, and then it's also looking at the costs if you're wrong or where it, where it goes if you're wrong. Now, what makes this interesting is the deal is a cash price, 135, fully agreed to, fully consensual. As I said, there's no financing condition. There's no real any way they can back out of it. Um, uh, but in the situation uh, uh, where they did, excuse me, excuse me I should, I should uh, finish my, my original train of thought. There's no real way they can, they can back out of it. But despite that, because of the liquidity uh, that's just evaporated from the market, the stock has traded all the way down from an extremely tight spread, close to $130 a share, as you would expect, uh-huh. to $110. The stock's okay. at $110 right now. So if this deal closes on terms in you know three to four months uh, on schedule, you will get twenty five dollars of deal spread, um, taking the risk that Monsieur Arnaud, the boss of LVMH, is good at his word and closes this deal. So twenty five dollars on a hundred and ten dollar investment—that's about a twenty five percent gross return. Of course, if it only takes three or four months, that's a huge annualized return, right? That's almost a hundred percent annualized return. Yeah, that's huge. So this this spread is so massive that you could actually go into the options market and buy put options at the money put options. So one ten strike one month put options costs around twelve, thirteen dollars. So you could flip, so if if you subscribe to the view that whatever happens uh, in a month, this deal is gonna break or it's not gonna break, but it's gonna happen in the next month. And the reason I say that is because Funding stress right now is basically at max pain point, right? You're seeing Dixie print all-time highs. Everyone's puking government bonds. The VIX is at 85. Um, everyone is stretching for liquidity wherever they can find it, right? Traditional safe havens are getting blown out. Gold is getting blown out. Government bonds are getting obliterated. So if you think that we can sustain this kind of environment for more than a month, this trade probably doesn't work for you. But if you think one way or another this trade can, excuse me, this environment will be will be sorted out either in a month, then this deal will either break or not. It's going to happen in a month. Then you can buy at the money puts at 12, 13 bucks. So what that means is you have a month in which even if the deal breaks, you're basically covered all the way down from your purchase price, um, minus the premium, of course, but essentially you're covered most of the way down. Um, and in return, you give up 12 bucks of 12 bucks of upside, but even from, say, one twenty-three. Uh, that's adding the, the put premium to the current stock price. So even from 123 to 135, that's still 12, 13 bucks of upside. Um, in other words, a fully covered annualized return is still looking at you know 30, 35 percent, which is absolutely crazy to me for a deal like this. And the, the reason I say that is because, look, the the guy who runs LVMH, Bernard Arnault, is is kind of like the Warren Buffett of the luxury sector. So he's built LVMH through a series of massive acquisitions over a long period of time. Yep. He doesn't, he doesn't think about the next 15 minutes. He thinks about the next 15 years, right? So he, look, of course, if we head into a big recession, luxury demand will get will get obliterated and he probably will look silly for the next year or two having paid 135 when maybe Tiffany's true value would have gone down by half, whatever. Right. But frankly... You have to weigh that against the reputational hit of backing out of a deal, which, by the way, is extremely difficult legally to back out of. Essentially, what you'd have to do is try to argue there has been a material adverse change in the business, even though acts of God, force majeure acts of God, are basically carved out from most 
material adverse change clauses. So what you'd have to argue, so, so basically what I'm saying is legally it looks very difficult that you could throw a bunch of money at a New York lawyer to try and argue that coronavirus um, is not only is not an act of God that falls within the definition of a force majeure clause in the material adverse change language of the, of the agreement, um, but that Tiffany, for example, is much worse affected than other typical luxury retailers in this environment such that you can't close the deal on previously announced terms. You could you could litigate that and try to try to do it, but my point is, you know, if you're Arno and you have a 15, 20 year view, um, the reputational costs to doing that, especially when this was a negotiated friendly transaction, um, where Tiffany wasn't really looking to sell itself in the beginning, right? So the way the deal unfolded was, you know, Tiffany played a little bit of hardball. It was only after LVMH raised their offer two or three times that they actually agreed to sell. My point being, if they tried to play hardball, walked away, it's no guarantee that LVMH would come back and buy it even at a lower price in the next two, three, four years, right? So they're taking a big risk by trying to abort the deal now, if or when the environment normalizes, Tiffany might just tell them to go jump in the lake. So it's one of those ones where there's no financing risk, there's no regulatory risk. Um, you have an extremely strong acquirer who's already funded the deal. Um, the break language is its pretty boilerplate, but for this kind of transaction, it seems very strong. And the annualized return being offered is incredible, even if you fully hedge it. So I'm not actually hedging via the puts, because I think it's, it's still very expensive, right? The vol's very high. But that just goes to show you how much juice there is in the spread. You could actually hedge this for a very significant period of time and still make a huge return. I actually just own the spread outright. Um, so is that I mean, what you're doing? Do you, just, own, do, you, do you own the spread outright? Yeah, yeah. So I just own a bit of Tiffany stock, right? Okay. Um, and I expect it to close on terms within the next, you know, four months. Let's and, say. And what do you make um, when you do these kinds of deals? What kind of allocation percentage are you putting towards them? Yeah, I mean, I have a bucket within my book for this kind of special situation merger arb type type stuff, um, and I only have three or four names in there right now. So that's not it. Look, that's not nowhere near the biggest part of my book. So it's not a huge allocation. So. This is probably let's call it three, 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 three and a half percent okay. of NAV position. Yep. So yeah, I mean you know it can definitely contribute say fifty bips PNL, maybe actually maybe more than that, maybe sixty, seventy bips of PNL if I get it right. Yeah. Um, at the same time, if I get it horribly wrong, it's not going to be a game over type trade, right? So, uh, but you know everyone has to size it according to their own. To their own risk tolerances. Sure. Um, but but I mean, look, this this is to me the most interesting of these kinds of things. But I mean, you can pull up you can pull up basically any ongoing merger transaction, and it's looking extremely juicy, right? So, I mean, one that another a lot of people like that I, I don't actually love so much, but a lot of people are talking about is the tech data TCD. Okay. Uh, ongoing take from uh, Apollo, I believe it's Apollo and. I think maybe Buffett's even involved. I need to look at the deal, but the the main the main entity buying is Apollo, uh, and uh, the the bid is one forty five, and the stock's trading at hundred. <laughs> so so the spread in absolute terms is much wider, but there's there are good reasons for that. I think you know tech data is much more levered. Um, obviously the buyer is not. Uh, I mean it's a you know it's a private equity firm, so. There's a lot of worries around around the ability of private equity firms to to meet their commitments. Let's say, uh, look, this deal probably still goes through, but there's that. 
Um, it's also a little bit earlier in the process in terms of the, the deal math, the, the deal timeline, so there's a bit more time risk involved. Um, and the final point is um, Apollo has a little bit of a checkered history. So they've, they've actually recut, renegotiated deals a few times. I believe Caesars was the most um, was the most famous one where they recut the deal aggressively during uh, the financial crisis or post the financial crisis when when business went south. Right. So so you're dealing with different counterparties here. Whereas in the in the LVMH example, the only transaction where they basically walked away was when they lost when they tried to negotiate to take over Hermes. And they didn't get it done on the terms they wanted, so they walked away in the end. Um, but then it was a very different situation. They never really acquired a majority stake. They uh, never came to a consensual deal with the Hermes uh, existing shareholders. Um, so it wasn't as if it was a signed and sealed deal that they then back broke, broke or backed out of. It was uh, more of a not getting to the finish line on a potential acquisition that he then always regretted, right? So I think it's a very different situation to the, to the uh, Tiffany situation. And so why would I chase something like a, a tech data for, for 45% when I can chase uh, not, you know, yeah, for 45% on my cost or 33% gross when I can chase what I consider a much, much more high quality deal like Tiffany at, you know, at, uh, you know, over 30% on my cost and still 25% um, gross versus the target price, which is still extremely confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Jeremy, uh, I think we should wrap it up there. But uh, I appreciate the idea, and I think uh, it's always interesting. And um, one of the things that I have fun doing on the show is um, we get to do uh, niche, interesting things on the show that are, you know, not not your typical mainstream, um, you know, go buy Coca Cola. Which nothing, I have nothing against Coca Cola, but we do a lot of obscure stuff here. So I think that's a lot of fun. So I appreciate yep. it. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.